Investor Today with Andy Brownell and Tom Ostrom on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Good morning and welcome to Rochester Today, Tuesday. And as always on a Tuesday, that means I'm seeing my friend Tom Ostrom. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Andrew. Well, I guess uh, what's in the mailbag? From Wayne. I believe even Democrat internal polling of likely voters shows uh, uh, the GOP will win the next elections. Voters care about inflation, high energy prices, crime, illegal uh, illegal immigration, and school board elections. Does anyone really believe President Biden when he says he did not know in advance about the Mar-a-Lago raid? Uh, I don't believe him either. And I've read articles where he in fact uh, uh, set this up and, and wanted it done, uh, take Trump out of the election considerations. But uh, 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 he, he did, Biden denies that. Uh, then someone sent me a political drawing. It shows uh, Attorney General Garland, and he's got the redacted, and it's heavily redacted affidavit but he forgot to redact one thing. There was a footnote at the bottom that said, get Trump. <laughs> <laughs> and then from KLS, one of Mike Huckabee's guests uh, on the Christian Broadcast Network was Hogan Gidley, White House Deputy Press Secretary for Trump at one time and heading Trump's reelection campaign. He was a witty guy. He talked about voter fraud. He said that was the case in Arkansas, um, they usually won elections with the cemetery vote. That's been changed. Uh, and then uh, then he said, I was so mad when I found out my parents voted for Biden. I haven't visited their graves. <laughs> <laughs> That's bad. <laughs> and then from uh, <laughs> uh, Nevada, Dan, when Florida Governor DeSantis slapped Disney down, it reminded me of President Reagan firing the air traffic controllers. There was fear the airplanes would be crashing, like fear of Disney would sue the state of Florida. Planes didn't crash. Uh, no downside to removing Disney's special subsidies. Uh, Walt Disney would be ashamed of his woke company today. And then Nevada dabs, Babs out there uh, said this. Uh, uh, I'd like to take on Mayor uh, Garlic, uh, Attorney General uh, Garland, and say more about Jerry Nadler, but uh, I know we don't have time. I want to see DeSantis remain in Florida and get strengthened for future elections. He's rocking the left. When I listen to him, I can't help but think of Ronald Reagan. The same delivery, the same twinkle in the eye, the humor, and how effectively he nails the left and the media. Tom, what do you think of the loan forgiveness? Uh, isn't it outrageous? People who've paid are, are ignored. People who didn't uh, get this windfall, but it's being questioned. We'll see what happens. And that's the mailbag. All right. I, you wonder if there will be a legal challenge to the uh, student loan forgiveness program announced by Biden last week. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine anybody who didn't have one forgiven, who perhaps paid off their loan, whatever, 
36 hours before whatever magical time they chose for this might be able to get uh, legal standing to sue or somebody who files and takes out a loan one day after is no longer in effect. Maybe they could also yeah. uh, argue they have been harmed. But I still wonder how the president can authorize the expenditure of approximately $300 billion without congressional approval. That's right. And that's and what even, the issue is. And yeah. I think that will be challenged. Well, it has to be brought by somebody who's in the majority in one of uh, the two that's chambers. True. And I, I don't know if that's going to happen for political reasons. So well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We, who knows? Maybe that'll come up later in the hour, but we'll take our break. And we will continue with more of Rochester Today with Tom Ostrom. I'm Andy Brownell. It is News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Treasure Island Resort, Andy Brownell and Tom Ostrom on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Welcome back to Rochester Today. Uh, so, Tom, I read a, that's a little newsletter I get every morning, uh, a local, I guess when I say local, statewide, but a Minnesota, I don't know how to describe him, political analyst, maybe? That, yeah, I think that's how it'll go. Uh, his name is Blois Olson. He's been around for a long, long time, and, and he was at the state fair. So he's been kind of observing the reactions to the two different candidates, and the candidates being the governor, Tim Walls, and Republican Scott Jensen, and their activities at the state fair and he has and this is through the first weekend obviously of the state fair he has noted a great deal of uh, more energy uh at the jensen burke booth than at the uh or at least for the walls appearances and also i guess even just for the republican uh booth outside of jensen a lot more activity taking place um, more enthusiasm among fair goers who are visiting that booth than those visiting the Democrat booth or booths at the state fair. And also noted that uh, the governor has not been anywhere near as accessible as Jensen has been. He's been out there a ton. And mm -hmm. Walsh has made appearances, obviously, and has actually walked through the fairgrounds and interacted with fair goers. And uh, Blois Olson also noted that in those interactions, every time he turns around, the governor is also being confronted by fairgoers oh. about things that uh, these particular fairgoers are probably not too pleased about. A lot of it dealing with COVID issues uh, and other things along those same lines. But he also noted that amongst a lot of the fairgoers, there's a lot of, I don't know who Scott Jensen is going on. So his name recognition issue is still a big issue for him. But Mm. That was just his take on what he's seen over a few days of the state fair. Anything else Minnesota-wise you want to talk about? Well, a lawsuit has been filed. Uh, a courageous person has stepped forward uh, over the Minneapolis Teachers Union contract stipulating that white teachers will be laid off first. And the lawsuit uh, uh, is against uh, the Minnesota Federation of Teachers. And uh, for this discriminatory action... And uh, Judicial Watch, a national uh, organization, is leading the suit, and a taxpayer uh, is involved in it. They filed the suit against the superintendent of the Minneapolis public school system for violating the equal protection guarantee of the Minnesota 
Constitution and the Equal Protection Guarantee of the U.S. Constitution. So um, that fight will go on for a while. And uh, the language of the contract doesn't specify any race, but the wording is such that it's not too hard to figure out that that's what the intent would be. Um, And I've talked to a few legal types over the past few days, and their opinions were that they might get a Minneapolis judge to go along with this, but this thing will end up being stricken down by the time it gets to the Supreme Court. That's the Minnesota Supreme Court. But in the lower courts, it might pass muster, but the challenges will continue. And ultimately, it will probably be uh, stricken as a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution. But you never know. Mm-hmm. Well, if we do it goes, not have a crystal ball. If, if it goes to the U.S. Supreme Court, the conservatives outnumber liberals, you'd think it'd be successful. We'll see what it does in appeals courts before then. It's going to take years. You might get an initial decision from a Minnesota judge within a matter of months, and then it'll kick up to the Minnesota Court of Appeals, which usually takes a few months if they take the case. And then if the Minnesota Supreme Court takes the case, it could take a year before they'll hear it. And then if you're going to go to the federal level, you're talking years in addition to that, or at least a year or two. So I do not expect that one to be resolved anytime soon. No, but it's a very important issue. Uh, the Minnesota University of Minnesota, Minneapolis president is Joan. Is it Gable or Gable? Do you know how to say her name? I think it's Gable, Tom. It's it's pronounced G-A-B. It's spelled G-A-B-L. Yeah, I think it's a long A. Gable. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, she uh, separated the university from the Minneapolis Police Department uh, after the George Floyd uh, incident. And uh, the crime on the campus is such that she has reconsidered. She said, we will have an evaluative phased approach now, and they will renew their contacts and contracts with the Minneapolis Police Department at University of Minnesota events, and then hire off-duty police officers too. And then the police have been cooperating with the campus police on serious crimes. But uh, the reality of the situation uh, there's no more defunding the police <laughs> no. motors in Minneapolis. <laughs> That's what I didn't think was going to last long term. In fact, I'm a little surprised it took this long for that uh, that change to be made and revert back to something more uh, more resembling the relationship that was intact before the rioting that occurred after George Floyd. Mm-hmm. I did read, Tom, uh, it's on your Alpha News site. I say yours because you quote Alpha News quite a bit. And it's an article off of a, it was a book excerpt is what it was. And it was this uh, female Minneapolis officer who resigned, I think, several months after the fall of the third precinct. And so it was an interview with this, I think she's around 40 years old, ex-military, went on to become a Minneapolis cop. And her story of the days after George Floyd's death and, and the months or so afterwards, the rioting leading to her re- resignation from a job that she said she loved. Uh, I, I would encourage people to read it. It's, it's um, take away from it what you may. Hey, cause it, it's not, 
I guess it is political because the issue is so political, but it's her description of her personal experiences during those hours and those days and her shock and dismay at the uh, what she called the surrender of the third precinct and how shocked she was. But also even more impactful reading it was in the days while the rioting was taking place, she was a member of a unit that a community response team, if I remember correctly. And so their job would be to go into the fray if something bad was happening. And she described an incident where they were rescuing a person who had been stabbed in one of the areas where the rioting was occurred. And, you know, the paramedics couldn't get in there because their lives were being threatened. So this beefed up team of officers would go in there and had to extract this person almost as if you were in a war zone. And I guess there was a Australian newspaper or Australian media outlet covering this. And they were, they did describe it as this is as close to civil war as you're ever going to see in America. What they were watching taking place there as these officers were fighting to remove this wounded person and save their lives while being attacked by the rioters there. And also even after the rioting had subdued, she describes a situation where a man was uh, laying on the street with a gunshot wound to his chest and they, her unit just happened by to find this gunshot victim and they stopped to assist him and try to save his life. And she's describing how she's holding her thumb into the chest wound to try to put pressure to stop the man from bleeding to death as the paramedics are trying to get there and they're being attacked Mm -hmm. uh, mainly verbally at that point, but objects being thrown and she just more or less said, I've had it. This is, you know, what more can we do? And obviously that sentiment was pretty strong because she wasn't the only one to, you know, call it quits and leave. She now lives in Arizona. Yes. I read the same article and the book is written by the alpha news uh, reporter that, uh, that interviewed her and she was, uh, a hero in combat in the army and then then she always wanted to be a police officer and did that and she said yeah firefighters were attacked they were attacked she was disappointed in the lukewarm support of politicians uh, and the political correctness of it and the lies of all the incidents and she quit she uh, her devotion to the career she quit and she moved with her uh, mate uh, out to Arizona, and now they run a truck, uh, uh, what do you call these, truck? Uh, a food uh, truck. Food trucks, uh, and gave up the career. I would wish she'd kind of get back into police work in Arizona. That's a red state, but yeah. The, <laughs> the, but the horrors of the, of the uh, and the burning of the precinct that was just, she said, let go as a political gift to the mob, thinking that would stop them. Well, I read too that interview, and it was devastating. And you mentioned the fire department. Uh, She describes in there how uh, paramedic crews and fire crews would be trying to get to these places that were burning and people would run up and slash the tires of the fire trucks as they're trying to advance and would be attacking the firefighter. It was, yeah, I mean, we all saw it. We saw the videos and we saw the firsthand descriptions, but her... I don't know the way uh, the way it was written, and it was pretty impactful when uh, when I when I read it. I was I was I mean I was already taken aback by what happened those nights. It was pure insanity what was happening up in Minneapolis. But and to how, hear it from her first hand first hand view was pretty yep. pretty strong. How professional she was! How courageous she was! 
uh, in that profession and the response to the public uh, and also the idolization of uh, George Floyd bothered her too. Uh, but uh, she left the profession when the profession needs her so badly. And probably what may have bothered me most about her, her take on all of this was that she lamented that her own family more or less demonized her after this. Yeah. That she wasn't even supported by family members because of the media depictions of what was happening in Minneapolis and sure. you know the, the blanket blame on all police officers. Yeah, I was... Yeah. Yeah. Alpha News, people can Google that. And, and obviously it's part of a book that is, well, I can't remember the exact title, but it's condemning the media, politicians, and a whole bunch of other things. That's um, right. So I'm, I'm sure it's, there's a political slant to all this, but it's still an interesting read. Sure. But I think she's brutally honest. And uh, related to that, uh, in the George Floyd incident, Derek Chauvin is being transferred to a federal prison in Arizona. Um, and uh, the, the, because of his own safety, and the Tucson facility uh, houses about 300 inmates, male and female. It has a maximum security penitentiary site and a minimum security satellite camp. And the Bureau of Prisons spokeswoman in Washington said, yeah, we're transferring him because of safety concerns, privacy. Uh, he's not safe uh, in a Minnesota state prison with the gangs there and the anti-police attitude and violence of them. So we're transferring him. And it'll be neat. Uh, the inmate, he was in a 10 by 10 cell, uh, isolated from everybody in Minnesota. Here he'll have a much larger, larger facility and accommodations, and uh, uh, and uh, they have work tasks to do and leisure programs, games, physical fitness, hobby crafts, uh, social cultural organizations. Uh, so it sounds like a better situation for him as he serves his term. I understand that was part of the plea deal. The reason, or part of the discussions, that he would be willing to enter the guilty plea to the federal charges was that he would be taken out of the Minneapolis or the Minnesota prison system and put into the federal prison system and specifically this facility in Arizona. Because essentially his federal sentence is just as long as his state sentence is. So he'll end up serving the same amount of time, but in a different facility. Mm -hmm. It's a long stint too. I think it's over 20 years. So yeah, we do is. have to, we do have to take our break for news now. So we will do that and we will return. Tom Ostrom's here. I'm Andy Brownell and it is Rochester Today on a Tuesday on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Keep your car clean and kids fed with a holiday car. It's Tuesday. Tom Ostrom. I'm Andy Brownell. Tom, let me guess. Mar-a-Lago. Yes. Finally, the Republicans do some effective judge shopping, and they finally got one of these several hundred judges that Trump appointed to look at the Mar-a-Lago uh, raid as a, and, and a female judge appointed by Trump. Uh, her name is U.S. District Judge Aileen Cannon from the Southern District of Florida. And she has announced a preliminary intent to appoint a special master who is autonomous to review the records seized by the FBI during its unprecedented raid on President Trump's home, the judge said. She said, 
we see we see political calculations here, uh, and we see possible involvement uh, in in an election uh, which the FBI says they were trying to avoid, and uh, they're going to look at the reviews of of records seized by the FBI and how it was done and what they chose, what the affidavit said. And uh, so that's going to delay things, but it's going to Trump's lawyers uh, appealed that and requested that. And she took the case and the hearing will be set September 1, 1 o'clock in West Palm Beach, Florida. And Cannon has also ordered the Justice Department to file a response by August 30 and provide, quote, under seal a detailed receipt for property specifying what was taken and on what grounds. And so uh, we'll see what happens there, Andrew. Yeah, well, we'll still be in the dark on that because all every all the documents will be under seal. That affidavit was so heavily redacted, it was pretty much impossible to divine any real substantive information from that as to what is happening here or what you know what is involved. I saw the Wall Street Journal's editorial board um, was highly critical uh, and more or less said Garland at DOJ better be uh, very cautious proceeding with this because of how explosive the issue is and how this is probably falling. Let's let's put it this way. It probably decided by the court of public opinion before it's decided within the real courts. And as you pointed out, the election coming up and people are, we want to know what's going on. And we want, and it seems as if we can't know what's going on. And even those affidavits are so heavily redacted that the Wall Street Journal basically said, there's barely anything useful here. It reads more like a civil case than some sort of criminal case. It keeps mentioning probable cause, but it doesn't name who the target of the investigation is. It's never anywhere in that document. And as far as obstruction of justice, it talks about how Trump was cooperating with the archives. And so it seems to be, but we have no way of knowing because everything's blacked out. So all the really sensitive information that might point to either uh, Trump's case in his favor or pretty damning evidence of a crime is completely blank and we have no way of knowing and garland said he wants transparency and he can uh, uh he, he can uh, he can show the case that they had and it's not political but uh, all the redactions indicate the, just the opposite and the, the i was just getting one more on that one the wall street journal also brought up the whole uh, hillary clinton email gate or whatever you want to call it and the what about ism uh argument and they, being the editorial board, more or less said, hey, this, this was the precedent set by a Democrat Department of Justice and Attorney General that this is, uh, this is almost as high-ranking an official as Trump at that point. Uh, Hillary Clinton running for president, former Secretary of State, um, accused of essentially the same sort of infractions. And at least as far as we can tell, uh, that would be the case. And in that case, uh, was it Comey who made the announcement? Yeah, there's 
There's probably there's probably enough here for uh, argument that a crime occurred, but there won't be an indictment because nobody would indict a case like this because it's Hillary Clinton. So the same the same standard could be presented in this case. This is according to the Wall Street Journal that it'll be a hard explanation for Garland to make why he would choose to indict if he does. If previously that wasn't the case with Hillary Clinton. Sure. And then they are interfering with an election uh, because uh, Trump's uh, probable candidate and elections are coming up soon. And the FBI is interfering uh, in an election. That's uh, and I think that's why Biden wanted the FBI to go after Trump to uh, dispatch him so he couldn't run or he'd have so many problems uh, of skeletons in the closet that he he couldn't get nominated again. And or, then, yeah, or, Tom, or Tom, it could be the case where they want the election not to be about the economy and what's happening in the economy. They want the election to be about Trump. That's right. And they know the polling numbers show that that might give them traction in this upcoming vote. Because the issues voters don't. are debating whether or not Donald Trump committed a crime or not instead of debating whether the Biden administration policies concerning the economy were the right thing or are harming us. That's right. And uh, and the FBI uh, is trying to affect an election or uh, Biden hopes that they do. And then the FBI whistleblowers, we said how uh, Republican members of Congress are going to have hearings if they regain the Congress. And they're going to, uh, as some Republicans have said, Garland uh, and Ray, director of the FBI, preserve your documents because if we get in power you're going to be uh, up before us and fbi whistleblowers are going to congressman jordan and senator brassley and they say that senior officials ordered the fbi agents not to investigate the hunter biden laptop they told them don't do it and uh, and they kept it then controlled that was influencing the election uh, and and uh, and polls have shown that uh, might get get to it later, but uh, well, we'll get to it now. Uh, uh, in a poll by the Technometric Institute of Politics, it had been correct about every election in the last decade. Said that 79% of the respondents said that had they known about the Hunter Biden laptop, truthful coverage of it, they would have voted differently in the election. And uh, Biden's laptop would have changed uh, the 2020 election and given the victory to Trump. That's the conclusion of this uh, institute of of politics. And uh, and and most of the respondents said the U.S. Attorney General, if he's honest and wants transparency, he should appoint a special counsel to investigate the first son's laptop and his political uh, machinations and. Uh, is his criminal behavior as an as an individual so uh, the fbi stopped that in its tracks and they certainly or most probably influenced the election there too that's interesting the poll found that i find that because i was a little skeptical that that issue would have much impact as far as voters are concerned but that seems to suggest it would sure yeah, and almost 50% of Democrats agreed that would have happened. <laughs> and independents. <laughs> we have a few more minutes left for national news, Tom. Any uh, other topics you want to touch on here? I've been commenting on how these school teachers that are involved in grooming and advising and keeping information uh, 
about sexuality and gender education to, of children from their parents. And I'm wondering, where are the psychiatrists? Where are the pediatric uh, physicians uh, uh, on this? They, they're frightened by the mob and they're strangely quiet. Uh, but school teachers shouldn't be de uh, uh, deciding these things. Uh, they're not competent in that. And the way education professors trained teachers are a lot of them aren't competent in their disciplines either but some good news the federal court has blocked the biden administration from forcing doctors to perform gender procedures uh, the federal court said the biden administration cannot force doctors to do these things the biden administration has been trying to get physicians to cooperate with uh, this kind of stuff um, just even in states that uh, have outlawed abortion. And the federal appeals court blocked the Biden administration last Friday. It said you cannot coerce doctors who for professional reasons uh, and, uh, and moral reasons don't care to be involved in this. And the plaintiffs were a religious hospital that the federal government was trying to uh, take funding from and to force uh, doctors and nurses to cooperate with uh, reassignment surgery and abortions, even in red states. Uh, Circuit Judge Jennifer Walker Elrod Willett and another judge, Kurt Engelhart, affirmed the decision of the district court in favor of the Franciscan Alliance uh, to bar the Health Human Services Department from forcing gender reassignment surgeries and abortions on medical personnel who uh, don't wish to do that. Oh, I have a, what I could bring up here, unless you have something quick you want to cover, Tom. Go ahead. I'm trying to inject some humor into this. I don't know if it's humor or not. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I, I thought it was funny, funny in an ironic sort of way, but you know who John Stossel is, right? Oh, gosh, he was a great investigative journalist on television. I wonder whatever happened to him. Well, he's out doing stuff on the internet now. He's got his own little internet blogging thing going on and i would say it's very libertarian sometimes funny sometimes insightful but uh his topic last week was about uh the mantra that we heard during the pandemic of you know trust the science trust the science and he yeah. brings up that 64 percent of democrats have a great deal of confidence in the scientific community compared to 34 percent of republicans but mm. then he went on to bring about um, an example of the so-called use of pseudoscience by those who are currently in power to push an agenda. And one of them was uh, a push to limit commercial fishing. It was called the Ocean-Based Climate Solutions Act. And it claims that climate change is the greatest threat to national security. And one of the ways they could address climate change was, change was to close more of the ocean to commercial fishing. And it was pushed by the Biden administration by an official named uh, named Jane Lovchenko, Deputy Director of Climate and Environment. And she brought forth what she termed a major research study that showed that if you were to ban fishing in more areas of the ocean, it would actually increase the catch of fish. Mm. And it went through peer review and was basically roundly criticized and uh, one scientist even called it biologically impossible, what she was proposing. Mm -hmm. And here's the humorous part, at least to me. 
it ends up that Lubchenko's brother-in-law was the author of the paper and she was the editor of the paper. Mm. And the, that ethics violation was enough that the National Academy of Sciences banned her from publishing for five years. Now, in between all this has been happening, she uh, has been appointed to be the co-head of President Biden's Scientific Integrity Task Force. Oh, my goodness. Oh, and that's uh, that's all from John Stossel. I, I got to oh. give him complete credit for that. And I, 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 I just found myself chuckling when I read it because it's so absurd that it's true. It's mm. incredible. That, that is incredible. Uh, related to that, I, I heard uh, I wasn't going to mention this. I don't have the articles and data in front of me, but that fishermen off New England that have their careers being devastated by these windmills that are out at sea and the windmills are killing birds and they're killing fish and they're destroying the fishing grounds and these new england fishermen said uh, if this keeps up uh, there goes new england tourism there goes the fishing industry uh, and a great setback to, to us and to restaurants and uh, but again these uh, greenpeace ecology people are making things worse not better with that, we'll take our break, Tom, and return with more of Rochester Today. Tom Ostrom, I'm Andy Brownell. It's News Talk 1340, KROC AM 96.9 FM. This is the Family Service Rochester Mental Health Minute. I'm James Re- Andy Brownell and Tom Ostrom on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Tom Ostrom's here. I'm Andy Brownell with more of Rochester Today on this Tuesday. This is where we talk about foreign affairs Things happening outside the United States. I saw yesterday that both the Ukrainians and the Russians have confirmed that the long-awaited southern counter-offensive by the Ukrainian forces has begun. And uh, so after a bit of a lull we've seen in that war in Ukraine, it seems uh, things will likely get more lively and more tragic over, well, moving ahead because active fighting is again taking place, or at least or widespread fighting. And uh, the Russian missile strikes on a train station on Ukraine Independence Day when uh, in 1991, the Ukraine declared its uh, separation from the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union was crumbling. So uh, Putin's military sends Russian missiles into a train station and kills uh, people on on that Ukrainian Independence Day. And... uh, uh, yes, as you say, the 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 fight goes on. Well, in, in Putin's strategy in that, if it wasn't an act, or if it was a purposeful attack on the train station, I I just see that would be um, counterproductive for the Russian forces. That would uh, heighten the resolve of the Ukrainians. I think the outrage of an attack like that, killing so many civilians on that day, uh, I think it would. Uh, be counterproductive for the Russians. But I also read, Tom, that the Pentagon and Pentagon officials are voicing more and more concerns of our dwindling supplies of certain armaments because of the amount we're sending over to Ukraine, specifically um, cannon shells, howitzers, 155 millimeter howitzers, um, and also the HIMARS, the high-tech cannons or artillery that are in use and they're saying it's not critical yet, but it's time to start going. This is getting concerning. 
And there have been delays in getting more production into the pipeline, even though the funding has already been approved by Congress to do so, to re reinvigorate our stockpiles of these weapons. And if you look at how hot things are getting across the world, um, that's a bit worrisome if we were to run into inadequate supplies of the basic weapons, or the basic tools of war, I guess. And that is also contributing to U.S. inflation. Where does all this money come from? It's, it's being yeah. printed. And, and, and other nations, NATO nations, are saying we can't send anymore. We need our own defense facilities, too. So it goes on and on. And uh, U.S. Coast Guard, I always laugh at the name Coast Guard. We're all over the world, I say, my service. And they're in the international waters. Uh, they enforce fishing laws and drug enforcement laws. Uh, the international community has given them that authority. And a Coast Guard cutter was denied entry into the Solomon Islands. Here, the United States uh, uh, saved the Solomon Islands as Japanese forces invaded them in World War II. But now the Solomon Islands wouldn't let the Coast Guard into their port to refuel uh, and to uh, replenish because the, the allegations are they're afraid of China. China's trying to control the South China's, uh, the, the South Pacific and 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 uh, Solomon Island doesn't want to offend China. So they wouldn't let this Coast Guard cutter in and they wouldn't let a British uh, warship in. And so uh, that's, that's uh, going on. And then U.S. warships uh, to show China that we're going to support Taiwan, even though we don't recognize it as a nation, but we trade with it. Uh, the U.S. warships transited the Taiwan Straits last week after the Pelosi visit. Now, the Chinese are furious about Pelosi and subsequent visits. And Marsha Blackburn, a senator, uh, went there a few days ago. But two U.S. naval warships went through the Taiwan Straits, and they were shattered by a... Uh, the Chinese Navy and and Chinese uh, uh, officials uh, threatened and moaned and groaned. But uh, that's what happened as we try to show some support yet for Taiwan and heating up relations with uh, China. Yeah, still remains a flashpoint. And the way tensions are there when the U.S. demonstrates its legal right to navigate those waters and are, as you said, shadowed, it creates a possibility you could have a flashpoint at any time that could escalate out of control. So people need to pay attention to what's happening to that part of the world, that's for sure. And we have to skedaddle. So okay. <laughs> we have to get to the uh, ABC News and a news update from uh, TJ here at the top of the hour. So thanks a lot, Tom. Mm -hmm. And we will chat again on Thursday. Yes. I'm Ostrom. I'm Andy Brownell, and it is... Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Rochester's radio home of Gopher Sports, News Talk 1340.